Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Kettleman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot, and Jessica Kennedy. On today's show, we had Dr. Neil Aziz join us. He's a supervisory veterinary pathologist for the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute in both our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and Front Royal, Virginia. We talked to Neil about Rowan, Asia, animals, and the Smithsonian. It all makes sense. It doesn't sound like it makes sense. Yeah, but it, makes it sense does, together. but it's all been a very linear path to, to what we know Dr. Neil Aziz as today, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. He was such a pleasure to talk to. So fun. Really fun to always hear about an alum's history and all the different experiences they've had. So we are looking forward to not only hearing Dr. Neil's story, but that of all of our alums that we connect with on this podcast. So thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. Okay, I think the most important thing we should start with, because it was the first thing I noticed when we started, is, Neil, you have a Ninja Turtle background, so you have the most interesting and fun background. Yeah. Tell me, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Uh, <laughs> or maybe why uh, do you have the Ninja Turtles? My favorite background? Ninja Turtle right there is Raphael. Okay. Which uh, color is I like, he? He's the red one. Okay. And I liked him because uh, he was me growing up, you know, it was, he could operate with his friends or he could be independent. But he also, you know, as a young kid growing up, you don't understand life. And he didn't understand the, the role about the turtles and the brotherhood and, and Splinter's role as their their, their father, mentor type of, of, of individual in their life. And he also had a lot of things like internal demons he was trying to deal with, trying to come at peace with himself. He was the maddest of them all. So I always liked Raphael because, you know, as you're growing up, you, you're mad at things. Why can't I have this or why can't I have that? But he always came back, right? He always came back to the group. So I like being able to work independently, but also work with my brother. So that's why he's my favorite. I love that your background has like really deep meaning. I did not oh, anticipate yeah, yeah. that. No, I was a Michelangelo guy growing up. Can I just share oh, that? Yeah, guy, yeah no, man. No, he was the party no, guy. No, that just like that yeah, pizza. Yeah, yeah, that's all he wanted to yeah, do yeah, was yeah. eat pizza. What kid didn't want to do it. that? My husband was into Leonardo, and now we have a son, Leo. So it's, uh, you know, that's, okay. that's pretty cool. really that's pretty after cool. my grandfather, but my husband would say the Ninja Turtle for sure. So yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So tell us more about, you mentioned about, you know, being mad and hanging out with your friends and kind of being wherever you could be and however you could be with the different groups. Where where did you grow up? I grew up in a, in a, in a variety of places, from the Bronx to Longside, New Jersey. And I spent a lot of time in, in the Philadelphia area. So a lot of different friends in, in different places, you know, a lot of family members, you know, blood and non-blood, but, you know, people that I held dearly in different uh, different areas. So, you know, when you're young and you're moving around, you know, you, 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 you have to go and try to find new friends. Sometimes you don't find new friends, you know, and then you have to operate individually, you know, and then you're mad and then you go back home to the Bronx and you go back and find your cousins, you know, in Queens or you go find your cousins, you know, in, in Maryland and you're back with family. So. You know, grew up in a, in a variety of places. How did you find Rowan and all and all of that? The simple word is email. That's how I found Rowan. This is back in 91, 92. 
Your America Online the, account? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, no. Wait, let the story unfold. This is great. I, you won't even believe this. So I was I was a I was in high school, misguided, but it was the summer. So I was in this program called Prime, the Philadelphia Regional Introduction of Minorities to Engineering. And they had a uh you know, they it was at various campuses in, in college campuses in Jersey. Um and then, you know, when you became right before your senior year, uh, they were going on campus. You know, you're going to stay for like four weeks and you're going to be like, you know, staying at college. And for me at that time, college was daunting. You know, I, I, I was I was probably 15 at the time. I didn't know what a bachelor's degree was, what a master's was, what a, a doctorate was. I didn't apply myself in high school. I was smart. I just didn't apply myself for various reasons. So, you know, going to college was like a thing that I was like very scared about. So I'm like, all right, well, we can go to college for a week. Let's see what this is about. They're going to treat us like college students. So we get out to Rowan. And it was a blast, right? You stayed, I think it was Mullica. It wasn't Evergreen. It was the one to the left of, of Evergreen. And you're having fun. You got kids your age from all parts of Central and South Jersey, and they're teaching you all this science stuff, which is pretty cool. You know, at the time, I was heavily into, you know, good science and math. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you can go to the computer lab. You know, you're 15 years old. What are we doing in the computer lab? But I was already computer inclined. And I, could, I could program my butt off. So I would get there and try to see what they had on the computer. Like I always wanted to make my own video games. So I, I, I was programming video games, but then I had never knew about email and instant messaging. And I was like, oh, this is great. So we would sit in that computer lab for hours and not go back to the, the dorms. And all we would do is instant message the person that's sitting next to you. <laughs> and that's when Roman would show, away would show you who was, right, it would show you who was on and, and what and at what uh, computer lab. And you could send a little message and it pop up at the bottom of the screen. That was so much fun to us. When it came down to colleges, I was uh, about 15, 16 about when I was about to graduate from high school. My mother and father, you know, there was that discussion of where I was going to go. And then I had a discussion with myself where I wasn't going to go. And then all three of us came together and it was like, Mm-mm, you know, somebody had to put down an ace of spades, somebody put down a king, <laughs> somebody put down a joker. And so I was like, I really wanted to, to go to schools in, in the city, right? I wanted to go to Lehman, wanted to go to St. John's, wanted to go to Hunter College. But then I wanted to go to Tuskegee, wanted to go to University of Florida, I wanted to get away from them. But, you know, 16 years old, there's no, nothing I could do. And so I said, let me go to the school with email because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's further enough from both of my parents, but close enough for them to get there. They were still debating on what I was going to do. And I, I had some money and I just went ahead and I paid my, uh, what was that? That fee to secure your, your spot yeah, in the like residence hall. Yeah, your application. Yeah, your deposit. Yeah, I paid that. And they were like, you're not going around. I'm like, well, I already paid the deposit. And it was silent for about an hour, but I'm here. <laughs> were you living in Lawnside at the time? Yeah, I was living in Lawnside at the time, sure. So we yeah. kept you in, in South Jersey. We, you didn't you didn't get back to the city, I guess. But you did get to Tuskegee. Yeah, I did eventually get to Tuskegee. That was after, uh, after Rowan. Um, so that was cool. You know, change of pace, uh, Southern Alabama, very, very, very big change of pace. <laughs> let me ju- let me just ask you, Neil, too, about the the background that you came from. Are you the first in your family to go to college, or did, did your family other family? No, members? My, uh, my father went to college, and uh, my sister. So you know, I'm, I'm probably the third. Third generation. We have a, mm-hmm. a program here called Flying First, and uh, we recognize all of our students that are first-gen students. Oh, wow. Now, we That's have in cool. our system that you were an EOF student. Were you involved in the EOF program? That EOF uh, MAP program saved my life. Rest in peace, uh, Mr. Myers. You know, yeah, I was I was, I was, was involved in that. I can't I can't speak it. I don't think we have enough time on this, this program for me to talk about that EOF MAP program. It was, I'll tell you this. 
when I say I was I was misguided, it wasn't that somebody led me astray. I just didn't understand college. You know, I didn't understand education. I didn't, you know, you start looking at jobs and, you know, you're a little kid. You don't know. And I say little kid, meaning, you know, late teenager. You don't know how much 30000 is. You don't know how much $70,000 is. You don't know how much that, that correlates, you know, cost of living across states. You don't know what degree you need for what profession. You know, you're just like, why am I going to school? You know, it's like high school was, was rough. Why am I going to college? Anyway, you get to this EOF math program. And they were teaching us how to study, teaching us, you know, how to be better college students, teaching us how to think about internships and professionals and career. And I'm like, man, I'm just trying to play Nintendo. Um, <laughs> favorite and game. It was, well, favorite game at that time probably was uh, on the Nintendo was Tech Mobile. And so at that time, you know, you go through the program, you meet these, uh, you know, these, what do you call it? Your counselors, they they finished the year before before you. So they're like sophomores. And, you know, Mr. Myers and Miss Williams, they, they, they put together a cadre of, of, of good, uh, let's say, mentors that were already students and then people that would consistently work the program. But, you know, it's one of those things where you feed steak to a baby. You just didn't appreciate it at that time. But, you know, again, I was young, just, just turned 17. And so then after being in school for about two and a half years, Dr., you know, Mr. Myers, you know, I was playing around. Mr. Myers called me one day and said, hey, you know, you, you need to come meet with us in the student center. Like, why am I meeting with them in the student center at 730 at night? And so he had this group of, uh, you know, let's say EOF all-stars. These are, you know, students who were dedicated. They were doing their work, um, you know, knocking out grades, going to class and everything. And he was taking them to a student leadership conference, the National Black Student Leadership Conference in Virginia. And so I was confused. I'm sitting there like, why am I here? You know, I was like, I know he's not taking me. So, you know, am I, you know, loading the, the bus? Like, what's going on? And so Mr. Myers, you know, very instrumental in that EOF MAP program, he picked, selected me to go to this leadership conference, which is in Marriott of Richmond, Virginia. And at that time, you know, he was probably a thousand students, uh, you know, African-American students from all over America. And I had never, ever met. Now, I'm, I'm a biology major at Rowan and computer science major at Rowan. And I had never, ever met, you know, another, let's say, you know, just not even person of color. I've never met a black person that even was remotely interested in science. So then, when I get to this leadership conference, I'm meeting people and they're like, oh, I got a 3.8 GPA. I want to be a neurosurgeon. Huh? You know, I don't even know my GPA. You know, and it was, it was all inspiring because they also were student leaders. Right. But then we also think that's a lot of times that student leaders are kind of, what's it, what to say, lame or corny. No, these were, you know, fraternity people. These were, you know, athletes. You know, these were people that to me debunked the myth of what a picture perfect college students were. They weren't, quote unquote, just only studying. Right. So that showed me a big diversity. I mean, it was over a hundred thousand, I mean, a thousand students in this Marriott. And I said, OK, this is great. And I came back up on the bus and Mr. Myers, it was an open position for a student organization and, and they needed a leader. And Mr. Myers was like, you know, looking at me, him and Miss Peterson, you know, like I was supposed to run. I'm like, why are they looking at me like I, I have no leadership capabilities? You know, I'm not even I don't even know what my GPA is, but that I don't know how long that ride must have been, maybe six or eight hours from Richmond back to Rowan. You know, just talking to Mr. Myers and Miss Peterson, they talked to me at their level, right? They talked to me like I was one of them, you know, with, let's say we're the same age, the same level. And they got my mind right. What did I need to do it wrong and, and, and how I could do it? And, you know, and I saw, okay, I was like, I need to get into the student leadership. I need to start belonging and start getting active in, in college and realize that you can have fun, but I need to make sure that I'm growing as an individual. And this is what, at that time, and I'm pretty sure it's even better now, Rowan allowed a lot of growth for you as a college student. 
you know, through student organizations, through different programs, through different on-campus jobs. And so that's why I say Mr. Myers and, and Ms. Williams and that EOF and Ms. Peterson, of course, that EOF MAP program saved my life. Because, you know, I was sitting in Chestnut 179 looking at that lake playing Sega Genesis at the time. Uh, and they gave me a call and said, hey, you need to come to the student leadership conference. And after that, I got my act together. And, you know, I went from not knowing my GPA to getting one of those, uh, what do you call it? One of those letters that say, hey, you coming to this uh, banquet this, uh, tonight. I'm like, what is this for? I just disregarded it. And I saw a couple of students on the yard. They said, you're coming, coming. I'm like, what What was coming to where? They said, the banquet. Uh, I, think, I don't know if it was the president's banquet or a dean's banquet. I'm like, I, I got a letter about that, but what is that for? They're like, you got over three point whatever GPA. They're honoring you. And I'm like, did I? <laughs> you know, I again, I had no idea. But I knew I, I knew I was doing good, but I didn't stop to look. Right, I was focused. I was behind the A game. I got to get my biology down pat. And I went there for the very first time. And I don't know if I ever say I, I felt like I accomplished something in life. But I will say sitting there, you know, and I, I believe it was it was President James. It was he President it had to be President James. He's President James, a genius student, standing there saying somebody was congratulating me about academic excellence was like <laughs> I might have did something, you know. <laughs> well, Neil, let me ask you. So I'll ask the question because I think there's students that want to kind of wonder the same thing here. What did you want to be when you grew up? Like you have this computer science bio background, like what were you gearing towards? So at an early age, you know, we grew up in the Bronx. It was it was around that time Ronald Reagan that came to the Bronx and said the Bronx looked like uh, they dropped a nuclear bomb on it. So the Bronx is burning. You know, the BBC had did that documentary. So it was an urban, you know, jungle. And at that time, I could read very well, you know, far advanced from my age. And they took me to Bronx Zoo, which is like a solstice in the middle of the South Bronx. You know, no burning. In, you go from burning cars, burning buildings, and you go inside the Bronx Zoo, and it's elephants it's giraffes it's proboscis monkeys it was like you were magically transported to this place and i'm like what is this they're like these are animals i'm like oh i thought animals were rottweilers and stray cats <laughs> um, and now you, you're getting you're seeing what i saw at the time on channel 13 these public broadcast documentaries you see animals you know from africa from asia from south america you start learning about conservation efforts you start learning about you know illegal animal trafficking and then I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So at a very early age, I, I was very interested in animals. I wanted to be a zoologist. And then I morphed into a, a veterinarian. So by the time I stepped foot on Rowan, I'll never forget it. I was in the EOF MAP uh, program still that summer. And they asked, they went around the room, asked everybody where they wanted to be. And it was a very joyful room. You know, we, we were all getting to know each other. And, uh, you know, you start hearing common uh, occupations, lawyers, you know, teachers, lawyers lawyers you know and they said well, what do you want to be and then i stood up and i was like i want to be a veterinarian i remember the room just got quiet everybody looked at me like huh huh, huh? Yeah, you're in the wrong spot and i said yeah. yeah yeah like really a veterinarian and well now we're it. gonna have a vet school so you were ahead of your time did you get involved in anything besides the eof program or anything while you were here anything that kind of prepped you because it seems like you came in knowing what you wanted to do so getting my act together meant really actively getting involved on campus and like i said growing and maturing as the actual student so Things that I thought were silly, which weren't, started to become normal for me. So, I, you know, I was quasi-active in the biology club. Um, I became a student leader in the uh, NAACP, National Association for uh, Colored People, uh, the student activity boards, uh, SGA, student government. So I started, you know, applying and started going to those type of meetings, started going to all the multicultural meetings. So I was basically one of those, let's just say, a student center staple from like 3.30 to 6 p.m. You know, I was going to all types of meetings, you know. When you go to the meetings, you know, button-up shirt, dressing for success, as they would say. Uh, I also was involved in my fraternity. 
Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. I also was involved with this little organization that was uh, <laughs> that had just opened and moved from the old library to Cross 322. And I forget what the name of that hall is, but it was a little organization at the time. It had over 100-something people. It was called 89.7 WGLS. Oh, we and, don't know uh, anything about what, that place. <laughs> we don't know anything about that. So I got an FCC license through them um, back in the day. So the radio station, fraternity, student clubs, organizations. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much. Oh, that's it. it? That's all you just did? That's all you did? <laughs> I was yeah. literally just involved in the radio yeah, station. And that was exhausting. And that was enough for me. But yeah, I mean, that's. And I think that that was probably an uncommon experience at that time. I think students today, like, they're involved in everything. It's almost like I don't right. know how they can manage their schedule. But I think it's like I was here in the early 2000s. I, I don't think people did that that much then mm. so the fact that you were involved in so many things that's really incredible none of my friends studied so that probably explains <laughs> a lot why I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. so i, I do right. want, I, I want to kind of put a, a period on the end of the sentence what did mom and dad think about after you graduated i know they weren't a fan of you going to Rome in the beginning graduation was great right you know the concept of graduation was great but you know one of the things we're always worried about and i say we is biology majors right is that most people in biology because that's the way Okay, so you could do a non-traditional method, right? You could be an economics major and then take pre-med requisites, right? But most of us said, hey, we're going biology. But you realize that after you bust your butt for biology, you know, and if you don't get into a, a, a professional school or master's or PhD program, like what are you actually going to do with biology? And then how much are you going to get paid, right? So gra- graduation was great, but it was like, what's the next step? What's next, yeah. You know, and what was next? So, uh you know, to be 100% honest, I, sometimes I feel like if I do something, I, I, I'm, I'm complacent, right? So I was like, I didn't want to go to graduation because at that time I wasn't 100% in Tuskegee. So I thought it was like a false celebration. So uh, my father didn't make it to graduation, but I just remember, you know, living in Beau Rivage, Beau 11, and sleeping on the couch. And I got an angry knock at the door. And I thought it was our uh, landlady's husband again. But I, <laughs> again? I said, Uh-oh. yeah, that's a whole nother story. But I realized the knock was coming from a short level at the door. Her husband was like six foot four. So I'm like, that's a short, is that a woman? You know, and it turned out to be my mom and my grandma. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, sleeping. They're like, better get up. It's graduation. And I'm like, I wasn't going. And my grandmother was like, better go for your mother. I'm like, uh, I don't know if I had that cap and gown. Luckily, I was probably talking to one of my friends walking across campus who was graduating and I somehow got measured for a cap and gown. Wow. So I, you know, you can't say no to mom. She, you know, she marched me into her van. We drove up to the student center. They're like, oh yeah, we got a cap and gown for you. And I, I sat through graduation and, um, you know, she, I, I, you know, I talked to my grandmother. She said my mother was happy, you know, especially, you know, to see me that academic side kick in and I actually you know, knocked out that last two and a half years. Um, so yeah, she was happy. And I, I guess my father was happy. I never asked him. So then you spent four years post row and you spent four years at Tuskegee? Yes, ma'am. Talk to us about life post vet school. You go you go rowing, you go Tuskegee, post Tuskegee. So I'm in the United States Army, active duty as a veterinary corps officer. The Army has a very long storied history of let's say the AMED, the Army Medical Department. And that encompassed uh, physicians, nurses, um, veterinarians, dentists, physician assistants. Um, all different types of medical specialties like nutritionists. Um, and, you know, you think back to the, the very early um, conflicts, you know, you always had army nurses or army doctors, right? Um, and so way back in the day, army veterinarians became involved with taking care of 
you know, military animals, whether they were military working dogs, military uh, mules, horses, um, and then also uh, inspecting a lot of uh, slaughterhouses that the army was procuring food from. And then since they were procuring food from slaughterhouses, veterinarians know how to do food inspection. The army put them over all type of food inspection, including like fresh fruits and vegetables and things of that nature. There's a lot of jokes about the army, but I will tell you this, you know, those old commercials of be all you could be were true. And the new commercials uh, at my time when the army strong were true. You know, you really push yourself to the limits. I was really exposed to medicine, was human medicine, uh, uh, veterinary medicine at a high level. I learned a lot. I was highly trained and it, it was great. You know, a lot of pioneering of medicine, you know, for various reasons happens in the military. A lot of pioneering of biomedical, you know, research and development, or even just, you know, for various reasons, tech, technological development happens in the military. So you were exposed to a lot, you know, you, you win uh, free trips, uh, whether you uh, put yourself in a contest or not, you know, to go to exotic places, <laughs> do exotic things, you know, you may like not want to be- It looks like you went on your resume that you look, you went a lot of places. Uh, some of those places were after I got out of the military and that was because of the military. You know, once you go overseas once for the military, that stigma of, you know, go, be, you know, being scared to go overseas, you know, leaves. And plus you also, you know, I'll speak specifically about the army, right? You're a soldier, right? So you, you're trained to be a soldier. You're mentally tough. You're physically tough. So you're like, all right, well, you know, nothing's going to get me. I'll go to this country. I'll be okay. I can actually go to this country and live. My specialty, so I'm a veterinarian, my specialty of veterinary pathology was started by active duty army officers and uh, retired army officers. So after three years, I get a call from a good friend of mine, good brother, Howie Wong, and he's telling me he has a project with Cornell University uh, with his a new employer, because he was a government vet, right? A regulatory government vet. Howie's now at City University of Hong Kong, and they have a project with Cornell University to build a veterinary school, um, uh, Western Standards, in Hong Kong to service East Asian students so that they don't have to go to Australia, they don't have to go to the UK, they don't have to go to America. And I thought that was great, right? You get the Cornell backing, uh, you get uh, uh, people who are highly trained, qualified in veterinary research, veterinary clinic, veterinary diagnostics, and then we could sit there and make a hub because there's a lot of things that we should be doing research over there with, with, the, with the local community, right? Um, I thought this was a blast. And so I, you know, heartbroken, left Mahidon University and left Thailand um, and then went to uh, Hong Kong uh, and worked at the City University of Hong Kong. And so we started to build the veterinary school from scratch. You know, not only are we talking about at the curriculum level and the personnel level and equipment level, we're talking infrastructure wise. So I don't know how much you all know about Hong Kong, but I grew up watching the Shaw Brothers uh, movies, right? So that all of that Samurai Sundays, all of that Kung Fu theater, all of the uh, Saturday and Sunday martial arts, most of them are uh, Shaw Brother movies. You know, my favorite uh, American musical group, the Wu-Tang Clan, they're named after uh, the actual you know, rebels in, in Wudong Mountains in China, but it was an actual movie called Shaolin vs. Wu-Tang. So I moved to Hong Kong on the strength that I've always wanted to move to Hong Kong. I always wanted to see the first movie theater where Bruce Lee movie was ever shown. I my my task at the veterinary school was to take a Shaw Brothers uh, teaching TV studio and make it into a laboratory, veterinary diagnostic laboratory in the middle of the urban jungle of Kowloon Tong. So that was a very interesting thing. And, you know, again, now, like I said, there's a lot of professional growth. Like I didn't know 
I never had a desire to be in higher education. I don't know anything about higher education. Next thing I know, I'm on committees. That's how we I, end I, up I, here. We don't. This, we, <laughs> me and Rob could tell very different but similar stories of. We didn't think we higher ed. I would say never on the radar. Yeah, never on the radar. Never on the radar. But then you're here and you love it, and then you just you can't you leave. Stay. You're just you're stuck because you love it. When sitting there writing up a master's curriculum and then trying to present it to the head of all of the departments. You know, it's like, okay, I've never done this. And I've got department heads who are, you know, PhDs, gazillion publications, you know, chair professors questioning, but in a good, like, you know, because of their experience, you know, what this master's, this, well, they, because we use the Commonwealth terms, right? Because Hong Kong was a British colony. What this MSc in aquaculture, what does it do for the vet school? What does it do for Hong Kong? What does it do for, I mean, how are you going to structure it, you know? What's your evaluation for the students? And I'm like, man, I thought we wrote all this down. I think people have read this, right? Because they're educators, right? They're academics. And I was like, wow, there's a science, there's a skill to every type of profession in the world, right? Which we you don't really think about it, right? So and that was that was circle too that you were not really like I don't know, I don't know if college is for me. And then you're you're writing the curriculum. That's it, 100 percent full circle. I you 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 hit it right on the money because one night. I'm looking at HVAC for the laboratory, right? Heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And then I put that down because I wanted it, I was, it was getting blurry. And then I go pick up the curriculum for the masters in aquaculture. And then also the curriculum for the, the veterinary school. So that was that was a blast, you know, living in Hong Kong, um, getting the chance to, to, to walk the walk of the Shaw brothers, you know, walking past running me Shaw right before, you know, he passed away seeing some of my Shaw Brothers heroes. And, you know, Hong Kong is, is the Hollywood of the East, right? So they even have the the, the, the Walk of Fame stars right there on the um, the TST waterfront. Um, so that was great. You know, that was another, you know, wake up every day is a challenge. Learn the language, learn the culture, learn where you are. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, teaching students, you know, a lot of good brothers and sisters that adopted me over there in, in Hong Kong. And then, of course, getting a chance to cross the border, you know, getting to go into mainland China. So I'm in Shanghai. I'm working at the CRO. And I, I, I liked it. I like Shanghai. I mean, Shanghai, I mean, wow, it was so much to, to see and do. Um, but then, you know, I get jaded sometimes. I'm, you know, there's a lot of science there. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I was getting a challenge anymore. And I said, I and I called up Dr. Ward, who is a good mentor of mine. Um, he's a very, very big uh, Dr. Jerry Ward, very big uh, pioneer in veterinary pathology. And I told him, I said, "Hey, I, I'm giving up on veterinary. Not giving up. I'm stopped veterinary pathology. I'm packing up in Shanghai. I'm going to move to Tokyo, and I'm going to be, you know, manga artist. Like, you know, I, I'd rather do that now. I, I, I've done a lot. You know, I, I felt like I've done, you know, good things in veterinary medicine. Now let me try to focus on." this manga. And I got somebody in Hong Kong who's a good illustrator as well. I got these stories in my head. Let me just do this. And Dr. Ward no, come back. I, I got some jobs for you. I said, nah, Dr. Ward, I'm okay. I'm staying here. Yeah, I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go over there. I'm really going to live this. And then um, he, he and I exchanged the emails back and forth. And then he finally said, hey, you know, your dream job is open. And I said, what job? He's like, the Smithsonian mm -hmm. National Zoologic uh, Conservation Biology Institute. So that's impossible. You know, jobs at these like this in America do, do not come open, right? When I first was working in Thailand, I emailed the, the, the pathologist that was here and he was like, oh no, we don't have any opening. So when Dr. Ward told me that this was open, I was like, really? Okay. And then he, you know, one thing led to another, you know, and if you can imagine, 
the geopolitical context. This is a federal job. So I had to go to a federal website, but I'm sitting in Shanghai. <laughs> Probably like, what is so, he doing? <laughs> I was getting shut out by, you know, the Chinese internet, and then I was getting shut out by the American internet. So, I'm probably, I, 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 probably, I estimate if I can remember actually, probably took me between about ten days to apply. Wow. Right, because I had to like. It was still up, you know, because it's like jobs are posted for a minute and then they're down. Like two weeks, I had to. I would have to enter a field and then try to save the application. Enter field, you know, you're going through VPNs and things like that. And I remember just one night, like the computer just wouldn't turn on. I'm like, both governments are kicking <laughs> me out because they're like, who is this you know, undercover you. spy trying to fly through this thing? So, um, you know, and uh, I moved out of Shanghai, went back to uh, my apartment in Thailand. Uh, I was packing up in Thailand and then I got the uh, email from my, my boss now. And he said he wanted to, you know, they do wanted to do a phone interview or video interview. But the video interview didn't work. And I was like, okay. Um, and, you know, Dr. Ward tried to tell me, he's like, Neil, it's the Smithsonian. It's going to be so many people, you know, don't don't bank on it. You're not going to get the job there. Try this organization. Try this organization. So, you know, my boss and, um, called me. And that might be my first real interview really ever. And, um, you know, I'm preparing the Smithsonian. You know, the Smithsonian Institute. Kind Fusion of, of Knowledge. It's a very premier institution. I'm preparing all night. I know they're going to ask me what kind of, uh, you know, conservation med medicine projects I've been dealing with in Asia, you know, I'm a, how my grant writing skills, you know, what is my education, uh, you know, uh, a vision, what kind of animals I've dealt with, what kind of diseases I dealt, you know, I'm ready for all of that. First question they asked me is those, I, I guess it's like a, a website you can find at least those standard yeah. interview questions or corporate <laughs> American questions like, you know, how do you resolve workplace conflict? Oh, no. Can you give us an example of your, your leadership? I'm like, huh, workplace like, conflict? The, is this I, the Smithsonian? What's I was like, I, I, I live in Asia. We don't have workplace conflict. The only conflict is, are we going to get rice or noodles? Right. What are we eating for lunch? You know, that was the only conflict. So I was not prepared for that. I felt I bombed the interview. I said, whatever. Uh, I'm, you know, two or three days later, I'm in the middle of, of about to buy my ticket to Japan, and an email comes up from my boss, and it's like, hey, uh, I don't know if I told you my previous email, but we want to fly you over for, you know, the second interview. I'm like, your previous email? Fly me over? I'm like, you want to fly me over from, I'm in Bangkok. Like, oh, these guys are joking. But anyway, make a long story short, they flew me over, you know, three or four day, you know, three-day interview, and um, you know, they selected me. I got the job, and I've been here four years, you know, and I walked into here as a student at Tuskegee. I was in my fourth year doing my my externship here. And I remember walking in here, this place was kinetic. I, I didn't even know what this, I knew the Smithsonian because I would get these the magazines because my father at a young age was trying to cultivate my, my science, you know, natural history. I would get those magazines, the uh, Audubon Society and Smithsonian. Yep. So I knew the Smithsonian, I knew it was a premier institution, but as a student, I, I didn't know at the time, like they got a zoo. And I didn't know who I was walking in here with. Again, the people that were here were pioneers in the field, right? They pioneered zoo and wildlife pathology, pioneered zoo medicine. I was just a young, humble kid who was in vet school in Alabama, happy to be up here in cool weather. And um, I saw how kinetic this place was. The, the cutting edge research and diagnostics that was being done on animals under our care, animals out in, in, in the world, they were diagnosing disease that was killing wild populations of animals. Um, Kitrid. They were diagnosing and working these disease characterized of uh, elephant endotheliotropic herpes virus, right? Which is a virus that affects the, the, the wild animals and our captive population in America. Um, very young animals, you know, two, you know, two years, three year old elephants dying from this herpes virus. And um, 
I remember I said, wow, there's researchers, there's veterinarians, there's bench top scientists, there's, there's field scientists, there's, there's paraprofessionals, there's veterinary technicians, there's medical technicians. And there was just a lot of KTE, a lot of knowledge transfer exchange. There were the, the zoo vets were upstairs, the diagnostic vets were downstairs. I'm like, man, I learned so much daily. But then that short time you're here, I said, this is this is it. You know, you want to roll with the best, this is it. And I remember as a student, I kept saying, that's the job I wanted to get. So when it was open, that's what diverted me from, you know, fully buying that ticket to uh, Japan and being over there right now and trying to, you know, be my best manga artist. So I came here and I've been here for four years and it's, you know, a fantastic job. It's a good setup. There's a lot to do. And I'm actually giving back because, you know, we have student programs, you know, we have pathology student programs, we have zoo student programs. So we get third and fourth year veterinary students. We also get uh, conservation medicine students. So students and masters and PhD programs, you know, with our, our, our George Mason School of Conservation. Um, we've got a lot of, I mean, it's kinetic, it's Smithsonian, it's science. We've got a lot of different centers underneath our institute, just the, just the Zoo Institute. And we, we, we've got a lot of collaborating partners in South America, Asia, and Africa. So it's been a it's been a very interesting time being back here. Um, you know, out of the four years, you know, most of it has been COVID. Yeah, um, how did that but, impact the work that you do? Oh, it was, it was, it's been a, it's been a very interesting time being back here. Um, you know, out of the four years, you know, most of it has been COVID. Yeah. Uh, How did that impact the work that you do? It was scary. It was depressing. It was, it was abrupt, right? You know, I, I had, obviously I still had friends in age, right? So I knew friends, um, you know, constant contact with them. So when it first broke out over there, I I knew when they went in lockdown and I kept saying, Hey, this was going to come over here. We're going to need to be worried about it. We never, uh, you know, we as America never really took it serious. So when that one day, I believe it was, a, it was like a Wednesday, they're like, hey, everything sent down, it's COVID. And that Tuesday, they were like, we still got to get animals, so you guys need to be here. So I'm in Washington, D.C., you know, nation's capital, and I take the train every day to work. The train didn't work. I think I think they might have started that train the day after. So I had to walk to work, which is about five miles. Not bad. Wow. But you know, it was like five, really you say five miles or five minutes, <laughs> five miles. Yeah. Five what miles. she says is not that bad. I'm like, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> okay, all right. that's a lot. Not, not that bad, but you know, it was, it was really, I don't know if you ever saw that movie 28 days later. It was I have a not. UK zombie movie and the gentleman woke up. Oh, like I am legend, right? Just woke up. There's nobody there. I mean, it was the most eerious feeling. And then, you know, being at a zoological institution, you, you're used to dealing with all types of scientists and people, husbandry staff, nutrition staff, uh, education staff, because we have a lot of, you know, students you know, from high school to middle school. Everybody's gone. The only people here were, you know, they said mission essential, right? So you come on a zoo, it's a ghost town. Um, I mean, it was, it was scary. It was, it was nothing, right? Um, and then it was COVID, so you couldn't really get in. If you, you know, maintain your six feet distance, right? And so it, it was tough. I mean, and then we have to worry about the animals, right? Right. So we had to worry about our safety, and then we had to worry about the animals. And I was still Were you in concerned touch. at all, and that it would spread. I mean, we didn't know that that much at the beginning. Is was that a concern at all? My biggest concern was that we were going to lose animals here. Yeah. Right. And now, who's going to make this call? Right. What physician is going to make a call that somebody has died from COVID? What veterinarian is going to make a, a, a call that somebody that an animal has died from COVID? Right. You've got to really be sounding your diagnosis because you're sending up the alarms. So I still was always in touch with you know my my brothers and sisters in Asia. Hey, are you guys getting any animals getting infected? Are you guys getting? How are you diagnosing things of that nature? 
and we made it here for a while. But uh, you know, we hit a we hit a speed bump, and our uh, our large cats, our tigers and lions, became infected with COVID, and they had real bad clinical signs. Um, well, and this is right after the Bronx Zoo's uh, large cats that got infected, and we have recently hired a very fantastic veterinarian, uh, Dr. Sarah. And uh, Dr. Sarah had let, was at the Bronx when their large cats were infected, and she was to hire. He was working with us, and our large cats got infected, and she, uh, you know, took helm of that ship, and we started uh, taking care of the, you know, get, uh, those animals daily. Uh, and she was overseeing those treatment modalities, and you know, we're talking about coming in four or five in the morning, and you know, and, and then administrating all type of therapeutics to each individual lion and tiger. So it was scary. I mean, they had real bad signs. We, you know, it's a colloquial term in veterinary medicine is to say they are ADR, ain't doing right. Um, and it looked, it looked bad. Sounds like, very official. You know, the prognosis, <laughs> the prognosis looked grave. It looked, uh, when we say grave, it's like one foot in, it looked like they were all going to die. But, you know, due, due to the, the, stat, the, the care that was given by the husbandry staff and then, you know, my vet team, we were able to get through that storm. But we still worry about it daily. Like we worry about our gorillas, our apes, the rest of our primates. There's a lot of species we have here that are susceptible. And if you, you know, if you Google it, you'll see there's a lot of animals around the world, personal and you know, at parks like ours, that have died from COVID. You know? And so it's always a, a thing that's still on our list. We have an animal that's ADR. You see where that where is it at on that susceptibility list and do we need to test for it? How do you think we test for for COVID oh, oh, and the animals? Oh, oh no! I can't. Oh, well, I'm just thinking no. us. We're in the nose. How difficult that would be on an elephant. I don't I know. Don't they're know. going to the nose. <laughs> Is that right, Mr. Neal? Okay. No, we're not going to the nose. Okay. Well, for... we're collecting. We're collecting. Uh, we're collecting uh, feces, and yep. we send that off a PCR. Yep. You know, cause that was the other thing. You know, that's the first thing I asked them. I said, hey, I work. I was calling my buddies in Asia. I'm like, hey, we work at the zoo, man. How you, how you guys over there diagnosing yep. the COVID in these animals? And I'm like, I know you're not going to, in a little, you know, household dog with a, with a, <laughs> you know, with the swab. And he's like, no, no, no. He said, like, we're doing feces in the PCR. I'm like, all right. So that, I, that was a, that was like. I think the doctors over here are probably happy they're doing the nose. Yeah, yeah. For right, sure. if I had to say that. So say, could you I'm imagine that doing that to the lion? Yeah, yeah, you're, not do, yeah. you're not doing that. So what are you doing when you're not? playing around all these animals like what are you doing for fun i think it's weird they keep saying playing around with well, animals. well you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, i know like, yeah. well i guess well uh, what do you do in your spare operating time? yeah it's a probably yeah. better question maybe well when you're not playing with animals then what do you do you know back in america it was, over in asia it was different right when i when i wasn't dealing with you know teaching and dealing with animals i was trying to learn the culture i was trying to learn the right i was you know exercising i was taking martial arts i was you know trying to learn about spirituality and you know, meditating and all of that good stuff and trying to see where exactly I could travel to, um, to learn, to, not as a travel snob, but to learn new things and to see places, well, see cities that I've always wanted to see, right? Um, so now in America, you know, what I try to do is I, you know, in my spare time, I still try to read, you know, catch up on some things that I miss, i.e. DC comic books. So I got the app. Um, <laughs> I still play a little bit of, uh, of video games at times, you know, that, that helps me rewind. My brother, he got into a uh, a career field that I never, like I said, every career field, every profession has a, a certain degree of skill or science to it, you know? And he got into a field that I never, like, we look at it as entertainment. He, you know, he, he works in, in film and, and TV. You just look at it as entertainment. Like, you, you think everybody's out there having fun. I didn't understand the exact science behind it, you know? Especially it wasn't until I got over to to. to to East Asia, and I'm, I'm understanding all the work that Shaw Brothers did to build a, an empire, to build 
this big library of movies, the skill set, the business mind they had behind, but also the creativity. How do you make a movie? You know, what's the script? You know, where are these actors coming from? I didn't realize how much the degree of, of skill you had to be in that field in general. So I watch a lot of movies and I watch a lot of movies with the director cuts, uh, you know, and trying to figure out what is the story behind this movie. And then I mean, my other question is, is the setting a character, right? So like the new Batman, um, you know, I'm upset. They keep changing the Batman. So I'm a DC guy, but I felt as though that Gotham City was a character in that movie. Right. So I get I get I get I get lost in, in, into that. And, um, you know, the other thing I do, which is, you know, people always. I, well, I, know, I guess we just hit casually talking. It's hard because a lot of people don't know this, you know, I mean, I'm a bird guy. I watch birds. You know, I'm bird watcher. So I got my binoculars here. I wish I could turn my, my camera so you can see. It. So at every veterinary hospital in, 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 in a zoo in, in, in America is hidden. So we're hidden and I'm in the middle of, of, of DC uh, a DC park and I can look at right here at lunch and I'm, I'm looking out my window nothing but trees and I can sit here and bird watch uh, so I love watching birds birds are my favorite animal but birds of prey are my favorite type of bird so you know playing video games uh, you know uh, uh, still trying to learn some languages and, and, and bird watching and trying to stay active and that's pretty much what I, uh, I do in my spare time well, we hope in some of your spare time that you find your way back to campus to visit with us. We'd love to meet you in person, maybe see you at homecoming coming up or something like that. That would be really neat to be able to, sure, be to connect. So it has been really fun to talk to you and get to know you. And we we love your, your full circle story. So thanks so much for coming on with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Hopefully I didn't uh, bore you all too much. Oh, no. I, Rowan always has a special place in my heart. And any of the guys that I graduated with, and guys and girls, and especially my 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 crew that I hold very tight with, we love that, we love that campus and everything that it, the university and everything that it provided for us. I mean, it's it was a blast, you know. I still every time I hear Rowan, I just smile. Like I remember, and I say, I'm not, let me let me stay on top. But I just remember being on the Amtrak train coming from visiting my father, coming back to D.C. And I woke up and I looked to the left, and it was two uh, two individuals that had shirts on that said Rowan University. I was floored. You know, You're like, hey, I'm there. I'm in a lot. Yeah, I started to introduce myself, and you know, and I kept kept it moving, but I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, Rowan, like, oh, with the Rowan, you know. Rowan's everywhere so. now. It's crazy. Well, we're all alums on uh, here too, so. We oh can, really? Oh, that's yeah, good to know. Rob good to and meet I, you all. yeah, Rob and I are WGLS alums as well. So. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, so we uh we have a strong love as well. Yeah. So it's always uh super fun to get to talk to a fellow alum and see where everybody's at and what they're doing and you're definitely doing cool things so and if you're up if we can find any stingray we'll fry some up for you if you can hey man i, I look i'm pretty sure we got a korean mart somewhere around Rome, and we'll go ahead and we can get a lot of that good stuff we can make it happen a lot to unpack there jess i know i know i was really well first i always start off casually in an interview talking about ninja turtles yeah um, <laughs> well who doesn't really? I know. it's really I just, it's a great icebreaker i was really intrigued but um such a like a deep story i think of i don't know i think the thing that really stuck with me the most was really how he was a kid that wasn't really sure what he wanted to do but really then when we dug in he was like oh, i kind of always knew that i wanted to do this so like how neat is that right that he knew exactly what he wanted to do and he just pursued it yeah and all the uh, different spots that he he visited from a kid from the bronx mm-hmm. Who went international and then worked his way back to D.C. I know. And how many other interviews, by the way, are we going to squeeze in 
that involve feces. You know what I mean? There's Probably. not many. No, that was your biggest takeaway. That was my biggest takeaway. <laughs> so now they're testing. Yeah. <laughs> that is fun. That is fun. I'm really glad that that's not how they're testing for COVID. So well, yeah. 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 I'm no, glad. I'm glad that we don't have to go through that. We're, yeah. I think <laughs> the doctors are more glad most likely. Yeah. I think right? so too. I think yeah. so too. But no, he was a great interview. Great things. It's, it's always great to hear successful stories coming out of, uh, coming out of Glassboro. And obviously uh, Dr. Aziz is one, one of many. Uh, alums out there just doing big things. Yeah, something we can be something and someone we could be Rowan proud of that we know is kind of representing Rowan University in the nation's capital, which is kind of the coolest place to be able to to be and to say that you're a Rowan alum. So we're really excited uh, to continue these kinds of interviews and hear your stories and talk to more alums about what you all are up to because we know that we have some amazing, incredible alumni out there doing doing cool things. So if you're one of those alums. If you are a Rowan Proud alum out in the universe representing Rowan University and doing great things, please let us know. We would love to have you on the show. You can email us at alumni at rowan.edu. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.